You're listening to the Practical Law In-House Podcast, an interview series brought to you by Thomson Reuters. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Tiralee Chillog. I've spent more than a decade working as an in-house lawyer, and I'm now the head of in-house for the Practical Law team in Australia. In this series, you'll be hearing from a variety of in-house counsel at different stages of their careers as they take us along the story of their journey to becoming an in-house lawyer. And in the spirit of practical law, we ask them to share their experiences and insights into what it takes to be an effective in-house lawyer. On today's episode, I have two very special in-house counsel guests working in the entertainment sector. First of all, I would like to welcome Ivana Kovacevic. Ivana is the Assistant General Counsel for the entertainment powerhouse Aristocrat. Ivana's impressive role includes the management of six international business groups. They are the Australian and New Zealand business, cybersecurity and privacy, as well as the systems business, India, HR and work health safety, global supply chain and D&D. Before Ivana joined Aristocrat a decade ago, she worked in private practice for major top tier law firms. She is active in the leadership and culture space and is an avid MC. Our second guest today is Cameron Stewart. Cameron is Senior Legal Counsel for Foxtel, Australia's popular subscription broadcasting service. Cameron has been with Foxtel for seven years and works across the full ambit of media law, from programming and content production through to marketing, data management, technology and dispute resolution. He is also an avid podcast listener. Today's episode is one of those full circle moments for me. Most of you will know that I worked in-house for Foxtel before returning to private practice. It was back in private practice where I met and worked with Cameron, and whilst there that I was on the opposite side of litigation with Ivana while she was in private practice. The legal community is certainly a small world. Ivana and Cameron, welcome to the Practical Law in-house podcast. Thank you for having us. Great to be here. Thanks, Terrelee. Good to be here. Good to see you. Nice to see you too. I want to start with your career stories because I'm sure our listeners are curious to hear how your careers developed and ultimately what motivated you to move across to the in-house side of the legal profession. Ivana, let's start with your story. How did your legal career start and what led you to the decision to move in-house? Good question, Terrily. Um, I was um, in private practice when the opportunity presented itself. So I was asked to do a secondment for a client And that was over 10 years ago. And look, I'm still there. Mm -hmm. So while the opportunity for me came up in an unplanned way, uh, I chose, like I still choose to stay in-house. And I do that for a number of reasons. Um, And Cameron might find some of these to to be similar to him. But um, the the first one is great work and great people. I really work with a great team and um, the company is full of such talent, both legal and non-legal. So we have artists, mathematicians and everything in between. So it's it's really inspiring to go to work and be surrounded by people like that. Um, work-wise, no two days are alike. And that's probably something that every in-house person is going to tell you. So there's always something different as well to keep you on your toes. Um, but the, the kind of final reason and probably something that resonates with me the most is the commercial focus, like getting to know your client really, really well. I think we're really privileged in-house to be that close to the business, which I think means that you have the ability to see the life cycle of whatever the problem is, which is quite different to being an external lawyer where you just get 
um, a really narrow issue. You're kind of isolated and you only see a really narrow spectrum. And I think with that um, immersion into the business comes the much better ability to support the business, to really understand what it wants and also to have a seat at the table when strategic decisions are being made so you can influence and support the business um, from the start. Um, and Cameron, you also spent a considerable part of your legal career in private practice before moving in-house. Making the jump out of a firm and into a business can be a challenging decision. How did that come about for you? Yeah, look, it was it was a fairly easy decision for me, for me to make. I was about um, five or six years PQE. I was at Spark Helmore. And at the same time, I was halfway through an MBA at UNSW. So I always had in the back of my mind that I was going to do the jump. It was just a matter of, of when. So when I was contacted by the recruitment agency, it, it was, you know, for the role at Foxtel, it was it was a combination of two things. It was firstly, you know, you combining your interest and love of content, entertainment content, which we all have. And then there was, there was also the commercial side of things where you could actually deep dive, you know, and learn about the many facets of the business and which Ivana just picked up on, look, you don't really get that in-depth experience from private practice. You're working on the periphery and you're working for multiple clients. Clients. So working in-house, you, you kind of really get a lot of knowledge about what drives different facets of the business. It sounds like um, being at one with the business and we all sort of have that in common that we really, really enjoy being injected into the business and understanding, you know, what, what makes them tick and how we can best help them from a legal perspective. And and again, you know, mm. you, you picked up on just the variety and diversity of the people within an organisation. Like you've got the mathematicians. Absolutely. That's you, right. You've yeah. got your creative types. Yes. You've got your, your data guys. Mm. You got the legal team. Obviously, you got your more corporate, your people in culture and in the finance, and you know you're dealing with them every day. And, mm. and like you said, every I know we're going to probably get to that a little bit later, but every day is different. Yes, definitely. Um, so, Cameron, our listeners may not know this about you, but your journey to in-house legal counsel is especially interesting because <laughs> law is your second career. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so I was at Macquarie Uni. I'd finished a Master's of Applied Linguistics and I started studying law straight after that, but it was kind of like, well, what am I going to do? How am I going to pay the rent, so to speak? So I started teaching academic English at uh, at uni to overseas students who had got a place to study at uni. So it was all the really fascinating stuff like essay writing, research reports and presentation skills. Um, so all, I did all important. All very, very... <laughs> to be a lawyer, yes. Very important <laughs> skills to have. But it was great. It was fantastic. You know, the mature age students, uh, they were really enthusiastic about learning because obviously they had an objective to, to move on and actually do a degree here. So the, the classes were a lot of fun. Diverse cultures, nationality. It was, it was a lot of fun. And do you feel like that sort of helped you like, or how has that helped you, I guess, in your in-house legal career at all? Yeah, that's a difficult one. <laughs> Put you on the spot. <laughs> Put me on the spot. I don't, I don't know insofar as it's kind of helped me provide advice or anything like that. Maybe definitely with the soft skills. I think, you know, when you're dealing with a classroom of 25, 30 students from all over the world, you know, South America, Asia, Eastern Europe, 
Middle East, got to be a little bit more sensitive to the way people operate and mm. what they bring to the classroom and just dealing with different personalities in the classroom. So Yeah, like I'm Matt- sure serves you well even just in-house, dealing with different people. 100%. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah definitely. So a question for both of you. Ivana, Matt, start with you. Yeah. Um, how big is your legal team and how do you how do you allocate the workload? How big is the legal team? Okay, so the, the legal team is global and we probably have um, 10 or more lawyers globally, but my my team is a team of three people based in Australia and we allocated by region and then we have people that support those regions. So I think you've mentioned the areas that I do, so they're quite broad. So we cover globally the, the regions that we work in. It sounds like such a, you know, and Ivana certainly in your role, like completely diverse subject matter across the span of any one day. Mm. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what a typical day might be like for you? Sure. I think I already mentioned no todays are alike. Yes. <laughs> and that is so true. <laughs> Um, so look, it could be, it varies from um, one day I might be working on some key negotiations, some agreements, whether they're with customers or distributors, to next day drafting board papers, to next day needed, there might be help needed from a legal perspective on some strategic piece of work, or I'm helping the HR team with some HR related employment law query. So it really varies. And I guess if we think time-wise, like in the last, say, one year, what has occupied a lot of time is probably privacy mm-hmm. work um, yes. and also leading the modern slavery um, work for, for the company. Um, so there's always something interesting going on, but I, I've, I consider myself lucky as well that I'm in the kind of cultural and leadership space. Um, so I'm, I'm um, in leadership positions on some of those committees and it's really good to be able to make a positive impact on employees and you know, people at large, um, just through various initiatives, recently just making donations to drought and and bushfire-stricken areas. It's one of the joys, I think, of being in-house and being able to be in one of those leadership positions that you can sort of um, help, I guess, shape the strategy of an organisation. Cameron, can you tell us a little bit about what a typical day might be like for you? Yeah, look, it's it's very diverse and it depends it's it depends on the projects that you have operating at the time so if i'm working on a production particularly a drama scripted production that will take up an inordinate amount of time during the day and everything else gets pushed back because there are certain time frames there's you know production schedules that you have to keep to so it, it really is you know project base you know what's on at that particular time sorry to use a pun there's no script in, in, <laughs> in-house I could be, you know, you could be called into a meeting to advise on something. You could be collating evidence for a dispute, pass on to external counsel. You could be liaising with external counsel sometimes, you know, four or five times during the day, sometimes not at all. You know, so it's 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 really, really varied. And that's one of the, the fun things about in-house and one of the challenges as well. Yes. You talk about challenges. It's a nice um, segue for me. Um, Ivana, what are the challenges of managing a team across so many jurisdictions and time zones? So I suspect that technology enables you to communicate more efficiently with your colleagues overseas, but how do you go about managing that team? Yeah, look, we do we do have a global team. So maybe I kind of um, address that aspect first. So communication is so crucial. And I think that applies whether you have a global team or don't have a global team, but certainly having technology that enables you to do that is really crucial. But we also 
my team, I guess, um, so we have technology that enables us to speak no matter where in the world we are. We also support flexible work, which means that people can be more productive. And that for us means whether you work from remotely from home or whether you shift your hours of work, which again has the added bonus of actually overlapping with different areas of the world better. So we'll have someone on the team who starts later and, and finishes later in the day. And then that works better and covers, say, the European jurisdiction a lot better. So it's a, it's a win-win. We also use time differences to our advantage. So we might start start an urgent project in Sydney and then come nighttime we might pass it on to the US legal team and then they can pick it up their morning and finish it by the end of their day which for us means that you know come Sydney morning next day that the work is done so you know where you can you know take advantage. So sort of follow the sun. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. And I I would say that the other thing about um, kind of being efficient as a team and and communicating also means that you tackle issues um, globally. So, you know, always no left hand wants to know what the right hand's doing. So if we find that issues pop up in many jurisdictions, we try to streamline them. Or if there is a global project or a project that will impact many jurisdictions, you start with that from the start. So you try and create a global solution, but then you adjust it for your regions. I'm also curious to know whether you have any productivity tips or tech tools that you use to upskill on legal developments or to get things done more efficiently in your team. Absolutely. Technology helps. Um, I think anything that can free up the time of um, of your staff to kind of do the, the more value-add um, and then give the kind of, say, repetitive tasks to technologies is such a good bonus. So we do have um, different technology in this space. Uh, we have, um, for example, um, uh, practical law, which I think I've heard someone describe as having um, like a specialist legal in-house team within your legal in-house team. And it really it is like that enables us to answer questions on say new areas of law where there are many experts and to do that quickly for the business which is really good um we have electronic billing which just saves so much time and this this has been really really good for us document execution um, another really good one and i think you know for people listening who don't have much tech in their teams this is a really kind of low hanging fruit one it's visible to the rest of the business not just to the legal team so you know the amount of comments we get from senior managers saying oh my god it's so much easier to execute documents now i can just press this button even if i'm on a beach in bahamas right um so you get feedback on that one that's always the challenge isn't it because you know for me i just remember a lot of the time it being who can sign this um you know who's got authority to sign this who's the person who can sign Mm. it and you know just basic things like ndas and that kind of thing um so anything that you can sort of streamline and absolutely and free people up for value correct absolutely Uh, cameron how about you what's uh what's happening over at the foxtail team um well, just just to go back to in terms of managing a team, I, I I think one of the one of the big issues, particularly for people who who are coming across from private practice into the in-house work environment, they are required to work work autonomously and take ownership of their of their work. So mm-hmm. there isn't that kind of micromanagement that you get in private practice, particularly if you're, you know, say a less than five years experience. So it, it, it takes a little bit of an adjustment. I know it did for me and I was thinking, well, who's going to review this? And it's not, no, it's it's on you. But at the same time, I think you need to balance that out. You don't want to be as a manager, as a senior lawyer too far and not 
providing the necessary support, particularly for the juniors or the new starters. On Ivana's point, just in terms of the communication, so we, we use, you know, Microsoft Teams and, and Workplace across the business. So you can just, rather than send emails, obviously just have those quick conversations, you know, say, hey, are you around? Can I drop by your desk in five minutes? And you can have those quick, easy, more efficient, you know, you don't have to waste time and expect a, a reply back from the email. So it's it pops up on your screen. It's 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 a lot more efficient than just relying on the email. Yeah, particularly I guess as well if you've got people working remotely. Yeah. Um, that makes that all possible as well, doesn't it? So most legal teams are either early adopters of legal technology solutions within in-house legal teams or sort of resistant and reliant on basic technology tools to capture and manage workflow. Um, Ivana, where does Aristocrat sit on that spectrum? I would say similar to Cameron that we are improving in this space. And I think my experience also has been that there's a difference between in-house legal teams and law firms and their legal teams. And I think largely this comes to resourcing. So I find in-house legal teams are just not as well resourced to be at the forefront of what is happening, um, whereas a private practice are usually just there. They're trialing um, all of the, and I, I'm just seeing nods, <laughs> they're usually trialing a lot of the technology and, and in a way they can help in-house legal teams. You know, they can take away the whole technology solution for us at times. You know, we've recently had AI done by, you know, completely managed by an external law firm. They did a task for us where, not even the whole solution was done by AI. It still had touch points by the external lawyers, but the solution in the end was cheaper, faster and more accurate. So I, I find I would really say, you know, um, private practice can, you know, just continue to do more work in this space. And, and for the in-house um, people who are not as well resourced, you probably want to pick, you, you really want to see what needs you have as a team and then pick technology that will help you. And there's a lot out there they can help, but you probably also want to have a business case. You want to have some data to see what problem you're solving for. So you're not just adding technology for the sake of adding technology. Did you know the in-house centre on practical law has loads of useful resources specifically for in-house lawyers? From ready to use legal training presentations to workflow and approval templates to guides for managing your legal team's needs and helping them develop, you can find resources to make your work life more efficient and effective on practical law. Now let's get back to talking all things in-house with our guests. So some of our law firm practitioners listening in on the podcast today may want to know what you look for when choosing external counsel. Is legal technology adoption or proficiency in legal tech a factor for you, Cameron, at Foxtel? Yeah. Um, look, I, I, think, I think Paramount obviously is the legal advice and the legal skill that they provide. In terms of the legal technology, obviously, you know, if we're farming out, you know, trademark work or patent work, then we want to ensure that they have, you know, the the, the right technology to sit behind that so they don't miss any critical dates, et cetera, et cetera. I think, um, so I think it's important and I think it's probably becoming more important. I think, you know, the... The general stuff about, you know, making sure that the legal advice that you get from private practice is responsive. If we if we call, you call back, you know, we want responsiveness. We expect that things are done within our timeframes. And that may seem a bit harsh, but that's just the reality 
of it. And, you know, be practical. You know, we, we want our legal advisors to know our business and to know the industry. Obviously, you're not going to know the business as much as us, but we, we still want you to, you know, when you're giving the advice, because that's the only way you're going to give the commercial advice. Yeah, we granted you know your legal stuff. That's great, but you have to incorporate that into that commercial and that industry sphere environment and and costs as well you know let's be honest you know that that is important it's a competitive um, environment communication you know soft skills are important but also when you're giving the advice you know be succinct honest unambiguous you know those things are very important really important Ivana you mentioned an AI project that a law firm's recently done for you so um, that sort of insight's clearly important to you at Aristocrat it is yeah and I, and I agree with Cameron's feedback generally on on external lawyers. But yes, from a technology perspective, I think I find, yes, it's important to us. We need to know that law firms can work with us and can find innovative ways to solve problems. But I think our experience has been that whether we've worked with mid-level or, or boutique law firms of top tier, they've all had the technology. So for that reason, that's not been an issue. Not that we don't care about it. We do, but they're very well resourced generally. That's fantastic. All right, going to change tack now um, mm-hmm. and it's time for some war stories. So both of you advise businesses operating in the entertainment sector and in my experience that industry is very highly regulated and this can make for an adrenaline-filled legal environment at times. What are the biggest challenges facing your businesses and legal teams in the next 12 months? Ivana, I might start with you. Sure. Look, um, what I would say is one of the general challenges is just getting being on top of changes in laws. For us, that means gaming laws, but also just general things like modern slavery and privacy. But I think it's also now consumer expectations in this space. So for example, let's say we're doing a lot in the modern slavery space. And I think you ticking a box from a legal perspective, but I think there is more and more of an expectation from the public that that companies in general are doing the right thing. So I think that's adding an additional layer to, to everything that we do. And in fact, we have a CSR team, which does a lot more than, you know, modern slavery might be a, a small portion of that, but there's a lot more happening in this space. And I think there's more of that to come. And I think companies are taking that more and more seriously. Yeah. The corporate conscience is certainly something Absolutely. that's, that's, that's yeah, right. definitely to be seen. How about Cameron over at Foxtel? Um, look, I, I think, you know, the way legal teams operate, I think we... We, we're in a, a very interesting position where we we are aligning the the very different interests of the business, you know, so we're bringing them together and then we have to come in and, you know, assess the risks. So, you know, it's, it's very important that we educate the, the different teams of the importance of getting legal involved at a very early stage of a project. So we've got a better understanding of, you know, what their objectives are, what their drivers are, so then we can, you know, assess the risks. Also, I think from a legal point of view, from an individual lawyer point of view, we need to be practical. We need to be solution-based. So we can't just come in and just give the legal formula and We're say... We're all nodding here, yes. Mm. <laughs> so... So yeah, and in doing that, so you you need to offer practical solutions to the various teams. You have to understand their objectives, understand their drivers, and you have to take into account you know what their capabilities are, you know what their limitations are, and hopefully that'll arrive at a balanced strategic approach. You know, Cameron, I want to ask you a little bit about. I mean, obviously the Foxtel business has diversified 
so much over, you know, the last decade and you've now got sort of streaming and apps and all sorts of bits and pieces happening. How do you as a legal team sort of keep across all of those developments and sort of, I guess, stay ahead of where the technology is or keep the law ahead of where the technology is? Yeah, look, you're 100% right. The last five years has seen so much disruption in the media space. You know, you've had the arrival of Netflix, Amazon Prime and just I think in November of last year we had Disney launch its streaming service. So there's a lot of disruption in the media space. Foxtel's had to be both reactive and proactive in that space, particularly in relation to, I guess, uh, what rights we acquire, particularly from the major studios and, and other distributors as well. So we have to keep on top of that and keep on top of that technology so the tech guys will look after that to make sure the, the set-top box, the IQ4 and IQ3 and all that are able, from a functionality point of view, to deliver that to the customers. So the the, the big drive obviously is in the on-demand space, giving customers what they want, when they want and where they want. And that has been a challenge. And obviously from a legal point of view, we have to replicate that in the contracts that we're doing. So we kind of have to, in a way, future-proof because we don't know what's around the corner. We have to make sure that that drafting covers enough to you know, make sure that any nuance change the technology that we're delivering, those rights are covered in the agreement. The entertainment industry is also consumer-facing, which heightens the chance for reputational damage when something goes wrong. One of the roles of in-house counsel is being calm in a crisis and working through the situation while mitigating risk. Have you ever been faced with such a challenge and can you tell us what that was like? Yes, from me. Um, yes, I've led and advised crisis teams in the past. And I think anyone who's been in a, on the crisis management team, which I think Tirali you have as well, it's probably you, Cameron, will say that it's really hard work, really intense work and really important to, to get it right and to manage it right. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a crisis. Look, what usually happens is it might start with a phone call that quickly escalates. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people are nodding. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> We've been here before. And, and you know, if, if, if it's of a particular type of problem, Problem, then it might require the crisis management team to be to be formed straight away. And what that will involve for, for people who haven't been in these situations before is the heads of various departments, depending on what the you know what the crisis is, being in that team. So that will be head of legal, head of compliance, head of risk, comms, whatever it is. And then that team will work really intensely to manage that risk and until that risk is passed. And I would say that whoever that team is also reporting to will also be doing that intense work. And that could be either the board of directors or your CEO or whoever that is. But I would also kind of say that while it is hard work, you will undoubtedly learn so much. It is a great development opportunity as a lawyer. Mm-hmm. You will learn more about your company. You will learn more about what is important to other people on the team in other departments. And you will learn more about teamwork. So, you know, no matter how good you are at it already or not good at it, things will improve. That's a really, really good insight. I, I completely agree with you. Um, Cameron? Look, I don't have a – I don't think I've got much to add to that. <laughs> I, I think like, you know, obviously that's that's all happening post. That's when the crisis is all happening. You know, if you take a step 
back, often you'll be in a situation in, in a room where it's, particularly with the creative guys, they want to add some controversy, particularly in TV. <laughs> they want to say some <laughs> risque things or something like that. And you've just got to pull them back a little bit. Just think about your concerns are the company as a whole, the reputation of the company as a whole. Their concern is getting the ratings or, or, or whatever mm. it may be. So, you know, you've really got to kind of understand where they're coming from, but at the same time, you, you've kind of got to be forceful on your point and just take them through step by step. These are the risks. This is what we're up against. Legal, we respond in Foxtel to all the complaints that come through. Uh, we want to minimise that <laughs> as much as possible. So, yeah, it's, it's just... It's just finding that balance and, and there is always a solution. There's always a solution to these problems. That's true. That's such good advice. On the topic of advice, Cameron, I might go with you again first here. What career advice would you provide to law graduates or junior lawyers listening with hopes and dreams to become an in-house lawyer or a general counsel one day? Yeah, oh, look, I think I think from the early stages of when you're, you know, junior lawyer or grad, you, you have to have to think like, once you you know four or five years in, you become entrenched in that team or that particular area. Um, so it's very hard to just swap. I'm a government lawyer. Oh, I want to go into media or something like that. So you've got to really think about what what your interests are and what your strengths are, and use them and follow them. I think you know once you've come to that decision, then you've got to ask yourself, you know, is private practice the best route for me in house? community law centres, government, what's going to benefit you the best? So you've got to kind of be thinking about this all along the way. Ivana? Yeah, I would say, I think if, if it's GC that you want to be or, or in-house, I would say what would really help is if you can get exposure to more areas of law um, before you come in-house, that will just put you in really good position because that is what kind of daily work looks like for us. So you are not going to be expected to be the expert in every conceivable area of law, but you need to know enough about a lot, if not all, at least to know when you need specialist advice or you need more advice. And probably the second tip I would give is going back to that commercial practical focus, which is so key to being in-house. And, and to do either of those two, you really have to get to know your client well. So I would just say that that is a real focus and something that I felt going in-house, that your, your commercial awareness just goes up. Um, so I would say embrace that you're not providing advice in a vacuum. Be commercial, be practical. Think outside the box and, and give your client options. They can choose what suits them. Cameron and Ivana, it has been fascinating to hear your stories, career journeys and your unique experiences of working as in-house lawyers in the entertainment sector. Thank you so much for joining us for the Practical Law in-house podcast today. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us, Terrily. It's been such a pleasure. If you enjoyed this episode, you can find more interviews with in-house counsel over on the in-house centre at Practical Law Online. Thanks for listening to the Practical Law in-house podcast and be sure to join us again next time.